Well, today, uh, Pastor Matt's not with us. How many of you remember it last week, the, the message that he pre-recorded for us? It was a, an amazing message on the resurrection. Uh, last week he wasn't here because his son Judah had COVID. Um, if any of you who have been around COVID or seen how it works, it's a very sharing virus, unfortunately. And so Pastor Matt uh, tested positive for COVID earlier this week, and he's uh, been dealing with that. He's, he's doing better. He's feeling better. Um, but he, he still, he said he would, he would appreciate y'all's prayers as he's trying to get back to full strength because I know he deeply desires to be here with his destiny family on Sunday. So if you could keep him in prayer. Uh, so with that being said, today I have the privilege and the honor to be bringing the word before you today. And today we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. So if you could go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23. But before we do that, I, I think it'd be important for us to have a little refresher on where we're at in Acts and, and the events that lead up to where Paul is at in this passage today. Uh, be, but before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had in your presence already getting to worship and praise the Almighty God. Lord, bless this message today as we open your word, Lord. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts, Lord, that you would speak through this message today, Lord, that, that those who hear it would be encouraged, that their faith would be strengthened as they go out today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to try to quickly recap the last three chapters of Acts uh, because I think it's important, really, to set the stage for where we're at today. Um, so in Acts chapter 20, Paul was about to set sail to Jerusalem. He felt that the Holy Spirit was leading him there to Jerusalem, and so he gathered all of the elders of the church in Ephesus together, and they met there on the beach to say their farewells to Paul. And Paul was really giving them their final goodbye. He told them that more than likely, this is the last time that I'm going to see y'all. Y'all will not see me again. And so it was already a very emotional time where he's saying his goodbyes. But it's in this moment that we see these verses in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Paul says this, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count myself, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul didn't know exactly what he was in for, but he did know two things about his trip and journey to Jerusalem. One, he knew that the Holy Spirit was calling him to Jerusalem. He said he was constrained by the Spirit. He knew that this was what the Holy Spirit was calling him to do. 
The second thing he knew for sure was that there was going to be difficulties and challenges everywhere he went. Now, I don't know about you, but that second point would make me a little bit hesitant to get on that boat towards Jerusalem. If, if I felt certain that where I was going, I was going to meet opposition and trials. But Paul, as we see, he was determined to finish the ministry that Jesus had assigned to him. So let's fast forward a little bit to Acts 21, and Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And en route to Jerusalem, he stops at a believer's house named Philip. Now, it's there in, in this meeting at Philip's house that a prophet shows up, and he, he asks Paul for his belt. He takes Paul's belt from him, and the prophet ties up his hands and his feet and binds himself. I guess he lies on the floor with Paul, uh, not with Paul, but he lies on the floor there, and he says, whoever's belt this is. This person is going to be treated like this in Jerusalem. I'm paraphrasing that, but he says this is what awaits whoever, whoever owns this belt. And here we see Paul's amazing response to this. It says in, uh, he says in verse 13 that he is willing to be imprisoned, that he is even willing to die for the name of Jesus. Paul knew for sure that the Holy Spirit was calling him to, to Jerusalem. And so he says that he's willing even to die for the name of Jesus. Let's fast forward a little bit. Later in Acts 21, Paul makes it to Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And what do you think awaits him there? Opposition. That's what he was promised and that's what happens. And so he was seized by the Jews. He was dragged out of the temple and what happens, let's look at verse 31 through 33 of Acts 21. It says, And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains he inquired who he was and what he had done. And so I know Pastor Matt had previously touched on this and talked about this tribune, um, but I think a refresher would be good because he plays a big part in this story today. This tribune was a high-ranking officer for the Romans. Uh, he oversaw between 600 and 1,000 soldiers. So he had a big responsibility overseeing this huge army. But the tribune, he can't figure out what's going on. He, he rescues Paul in a way by arresting him, but he wants to get to the bottom of what this ruckus is all about. And so right before the tribune takes Paul with the soldiers into the barracks, Paul says, can, can I just speak one more time to these Jews who are wanting to beat me up and destroy me? And so he steps there on the steps about to go into the barracks. He shares his testimony with the Jews once again. And we're all familiar with his testimony. We've heard it many times, but he shares that he was once a Pharisee, that he was trained by the greatest of Pharisees, and he was en route to Damascus to persecute Christians when Jesus showed up and saved him and radically changed his life and gave him a commission to preach the gospel. And so when Paul shares this with the Jews there, they weren't happy, and they get ready to 
really charge him again and mob him with violence. Uh, but the, the tribune takes him now into the barracks. And what the tribune does is he orders for Paul to be flogged because he wants to figure out what is going on with Paul. Why is he being charged? He hasn't figured out the answer yet, so he decides to flog him. Now, if you're not familiar with the Roman practice of flogging, it was really the way that they tortured prisoners to get information out of them. And it was a terrible, barbaric practice that took place. They would strip the, the prisoner bare, they would tie their hands, and they would whip them on the back with a whip that was made of bones, broken glass, and pieces of rock. And so you can imagine Paul being in this moment, surely terrified, not really looking forward to being flogged, but as he's about to be flogged, he tells them that, hey, I am a Roman citizen, and what you are about to do is wrong because I haven't been justly tried according to Roman law. Now, this was a big deal because Roman law said if someone was about to be flogged and they hadn't had the due legal process that whoever ordered them to be flogged could, be, could face the death penalty. And so the tribune has him unbound. He obviously doesn't want him to be flogged upon hearing he's a Roman officer. And so Paul then meets with the chief priests and the tribune, and that's where we were last week, where Paul mentions the resurrection. And upon hearing this, there's a huge uproar. And so the tribune has Paul taken away again and moved into the barracks. And so this is where we see Paul today when we pick up our passage. He's there in the Roman barracks, probably isolated, locked in a room. And up until this moment, Paul has had a pretty rough week. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I had been beaten and then rescued by being prisoned and about to be flogged and rescued again and then almost beaten again and then now put in the Roman barracks, me personally, I would be feeling pretty discouraged, pretty dejected. But this was nothing surprising to Paul. In fact, he was promised that this is what was going to happen. And so he was prepared for it, but at the same time, Paul was human. Paul has the same emotions that we have, and so I imagine that as he was sitting there in the barracks, that he was feeling pretty discouraged, that he was feeling hurt, that he was feeling possibly lonely. And so let's see what happens in this moment, and I want to read Acts 23, verse 11. And Jesus shows up, and it says, The following night, while Paul was in the barracks, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So imagine being in this moment, probably in a sad state, a discouraged state, and the resurrected Jesus shows up in front of you and gives you this charge to take courage. Now, the English, uh, the English translations that we have, it really doesn't do justice of what is happening in this moment. In the Greek, it really indicates that Jesus came and overshadowed Paul, that the presence of the, re the resurrected Christ in this moment was so powerful. His presence was so massive here in this moment 
that he didn't just come and, and stand next to Paul, but really the, the glory of the resurrected Savior overtook the room where Paul was in. And he stands over Paul, and in this moment, he's telling him to take courage. He's telling him not to give up, to don't fear, don't quit. He's saying, I'll be with you. I still have work for you to do. He said, just as you're doing in Jerusalem, I have work for you to do in Rome. And so again, I can imagine that this just pumped Paul up, that it gave him the courage to face this next moment that happens in our passage today. But it also confirmed the resurrection that Paul was in chains for preaching. When he saw the resurrected Christ again, I imagine that that confirmed what he was doing and why he was preaching. Okay, so that brings us to our passage today. And so I want to go ahead and read Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 35. And it says, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire some more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent." So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then the tribune called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, that's the name of the tribune, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jew and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Now I want to take a break real quick. I think it's very interesting here that the tribune leaves out a very important detail that he had actually arrested Paul and was set to flog him. He leaves that out because obviously he doesn't want the governor to learn of that. He makes it sound like he rescued Paul because he learned he was a Roman citizen. Anyways, in verse 
uh, let's see, where are we at? In verse 28 here, it says, And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive, and he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So this is a fascinating story. There's a lot going on here to unpack, but the first thing I want us to look at are these 40 men. These 40 men that wanted to kill Paul. Now these men, they were known as zealots. What these men were, they were the terrorists of the first century. These men, they hated the Roman government. They hated the scribes and the Pharisees. They felt that the Pharisees had betrayed them. But they were willing to work with the Pharisees if it ever benefited their cause, which in this case it did. Both the Pharisees and the Zealots wanted Paul dead. But these weren't just 40 random guys. These weren't just a few guys who overheard that each other wanted to kill Paul, and so they slowly gathered together and said, hey, let's do this thing. These men, they were assassins. They were extremists. They were also known as dagger men because they would conceal daggers in their cloaks and they would ambush Roman officers and murder them. So these men were evil. These men hated the truth. They hated the truth so much that they were willing to starve themselves and not drink any water in order to extinguish the truth. These men wanted to see Paul killed because they did not want the truth of the resurrected Christ to go forward. And they, these men also were, they were prepared to die for their cause. Because if, if their plan went how they wanted, Paul would have been transported with a few Roman officers. And so these men were willing to really die in battle trying to overthrow the Roman officers before they could even kill Paul. That is how extreme and evil these men were. They wanted nothing to do with the truth. Now, this isn't something new. We've, we've seen all throughout Scripture, really, that the truth of God's Word has been trying to be extinguished. In fact, in the garden, at the very beginning of the Bible, we see that Satan has Eve questioning God's Word. He's trying to diminish the word of God. He asks her, is it true that God said for you not to eat this fruit? And so from the beginning of time, it's been the devil's goal to extinguish the word of God, to take the truth and lower it, because Satan is the father of lies. 
Satan cannot stand the truth of God's word, and he's still at it today. Every day, Satan has a plan to extinguish the truth of God's word in this world. But there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus is not going to let that happen. In Matthew 16, 18, we see Jesus say this to Peter. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus has a plan for us, the church, and that plan is to proclaim the truth of God's word, and no plan of the enemy is going to be able to keep that from happening. All throughout the book of Acts, we've seen that no, no plan of Satan can stop the gospel from going forward. Something Pastor Matt has said time and time again in the book of Acts is that when the gospel is proclaimed, that opposition arises. But we also see after the opposition arises that the gospel is still being proclaimed. Nothing can stop the plan of God. No plan of Satan, no plan of religious zealots, no plan that's taking forth and taking place in our world today is going to be able to stop the plan of God for the gospel to go forward. Amen. That's good news for us as we continue to faithfully proclaim the gospel. So now I want to look at this nephew of Paul's, this heroic nephew. This is the first and only time in scripture that Paul's family is mentioned. And isn't it interesting that his nephew just so happens to be at the right place at the right time to hear the exact conversation that he needs to hear in order to save Paul's life. And I can just imagine being a young boy, being pretty fearful to go before the Roman soldiers and say, hey, can I talk to my uncle Paul? And then going before the tribune and sharing this news. And so we don't know a lot about this boy other than he's got guts and he is a brave hero in this story because if it wasn't for him, Paul more than likely would have lost his life. And so upon hearing the report from Paul's nephew, the tribune sends Paul with a huge military escort to the governor Felix. And this just shows how big his army was, that he was willing to send 470 men on this escort. So you know that he had soldiers to spare that stayed with the tribune in Jerusalem. And so Paul, where this story ends today, he's there in Caesarea. And this is an incredible story, all of these events that are taking place. And all throughout these last three chapters that I recapped in our passage today, and even going forward in the rest of Acts, there's one theme that I would like to touch on for the rest of our time today, and that is the sovereignty of God. That is the fact that our God that we serve is in control. Jesus, again, I want to look at this verse in 2311, where he showed up to Paul while he was there in the barracks. He says, take courage, for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you also must testify also in Rome. God had a plan for Paul to get to Rome. And nothing, no plan of the enemy was going to be able to stop that plan. But this wasn't something that Paul just made up on, I mean, that God made up on the fly. God didn't see, oh, okay, 
Paul's in prison now in Jerusalem. How can I make this work? What am I going to do? God wasn't scrambling to put a plan together for Paul to get to Rome. This was a plan that God had set forth in place from the foundation of the world. God had orchestrated and used every event over these last three chapters to get Paul to the place where he was at in this story so that he could be transported to Caesarea and later gone on to Rome. And so we see here that God had a plan for Paul's life, and nobody, including Paul, was going to be able to stop that plan. And this isn't a new theme that we're just now seeing in the book of Acts. In fact, God's sovereignty is something that's all throughout Scripture. We even see it in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, with Joseph. If you can remember, Joseph had 11 brothers who didn't treat him so well. They sold him into, they sold him to the gypsies. Then Joseph was uh, put in Potiphar's house, and then he was thrown into prison after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And so later on, after all of these events had taken place, and Jacob, Joseph and his brother's father, had died, Joseph's brothers were now worried that Joseph was going to retaliate against them, and they were fearful for his life. So let's look at what Joseph says to his brothers in this moment. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph was sure of the sovereignty of God. Joseph was able to look over all of the events that had taken place that had led him up to the point where he was at there, where he was able to see the, interpret the dream by the Pharaoh and know that a famine was going to take place. And through that, Joseph was able to save hundreds of thousands of people's lives. So Joseph says to his brothers, look, y'all thought y'all were doing something evil. Y'all meant to kill me, but God had a plan for all of that, and he meant it for good so that hundreds of thousands of people's lives could be spared. Joseph knew that God sees the end from the beginning, that he has a plan for all of it, and that God was in control. And Paul was sure of this as well. Before all of these trials that Paul went through in Jerusalem, he had written a letter to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says this. And this, this is one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. In fact, the first song that we sang today was written from this verse. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Can you say all things? All things. This doesn't say, and we know that some things will work together for good. This doesn't say that we know that the good things that happen in our lives are going to work together for good. This verse says that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now this is good news. This is very good news for us who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because all of us are going to face trials in our lives. 
In fact, Scripture promises that for those of us who are believers, that we are going to face various trials and hardships. Now, we may not face the trials that Paul faced. We may not be wrongly accused and thrown into prison and stoned and thrown into prison again and almost flogged. But there will be suffering in your life. That's just a truth, and it's in Scripture. It's a fact. However, you can be sure that God is going to work that for your good. That the trials that you are going through, maybe you're facing some right now, that God is going to work that for your good. Now, you might be in here today or watching online and wondering, how is this going to work for my good? I've had, a, I've had a terrible last couple of weeks. Maybe 2020 was just brutal for you. How in the world is God going to take this and make it work for my good? Well, I would ask you two questions. One, do you love God? The second thing I would ask you is, are you called according to his purpose? If so, you can trust that God is going to work all things for your good. Amen? The last, the last passage I want to look at today is in James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Now, this was the, the brother of Jesus who wrote this book, the half-brother. And he says this in verse 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so if you're asking, how do I know if all of this is going to work for my good? I would challenge you, do these verses reflect your life? Because this is the lifestyle of those who are called. This is the lifestyle of those who love God. Do you mourn over your sins? All of us, nobody is perfect, so we still, even those who, of us who are in Christ, we will sin from time to time. When you do sin, do you mourn over that sin? Does that mourning lead you to genuine repentance? Have you humbled yourself before the Almighty God? Have you recognized your need for a Savior and put your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins? Have you, have you possessed Christ and not just professed Christ? If so, if you have done these things, you can be sure that all things will work for your good. And just like with Paul, when he was having one of his worst weeks and he was there in the barracks, he was alone, probably discouraged, wondering what was coming next. And Jesus showed up and encouraged him and said, Take courage. I still have work for you to do. In the same way, God is in your corner today, no matter what you're going through. And he is there telling you the same thing. To take courage, stand up, go forward, don't fear, don't quit, don't stop. I'm here with you and I'm going to be with you because I still have work for you to do. If you're in here today, that means you're alive. That means that you are breathing. And if you are in Christ, you are still alive because God has work for you to do. 
And so be encouraged. Now, maybe you're in a valley right now. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe the start to 2021 hasn't gone like you planned. I want to encourage you. God is in your corner. In the same way that he was there with Joseph when he was in the well, when he was in prison, in the same way that he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, in the same way that he was with Paul in the barracks, he is there with you in the valley, whether you're high or low, whatever you're going through in your life, God is there with you, telling you to take courage. And for us as believers, we can. And for me personally, it's so encouraging looking at this story and seeing how God orchestrated everything. God used these terrorists to come up with this plan. He used his nephew to overhear the plan so that Paul could be transported to Caesarea and ultimately we'll see him in Rome. And this is, this is something that me personally that I stand on, Romans 8.28. I honestly remind myself of this verse at least once a day. Because personally, I've seen God work everything in my life for my good. I've, I've been through many trials and storms personally, and now that I'm on the other side of a lot of them, I can look back honestly and see how God was moving even in the midst of all the storms and trials that I faced. And so I want to encourage all of you today who love God, who are called according to his purpose, to stand on this scripture, that no matter what you face, no matter what trials or storms you go through, to proclaim and to know with full assurance that God will work it for your good. Now, real quick, in, at, the, at the end of Acts, so spoil, spoiler alert, Paul makes it to Rome. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to see it, it wasn't such a simple journey to Rome. But Paul arrives in Rome, and, and some friends of his, some believers, visit Paul. And in Acts 28, verse 15, it says this, On seeing them, on seeing his friends, Paul thanked God and took courage. So Jesus showed up to Paul in the, in the barracks and says, take courage. And then I imagine Paul, after he had made it to Rome, after he had seen that God was with him throughout all of it, I think he, he remembered that conversation, that appearance of Christ in the cellar. And it says he took courage. And so in the same way, we can take courage no matter what we're facing, knowing that God has a plan for it, and that plan is for our good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are a good God. Lord, that we can trust in you. Lord, all of us have faced some sort of trial, some sort of suffering in our lives. Lord, maybe there's some that are in here today or watching online who are going through the thick of it right now, and they have no idea how it could possibly work for their good. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them in the same way that you appeared to Paul. Lord, I pray that through your word that you would speak to them and let them know 
that you are there with them and that they can trust in you that you are going to work it for their good. Father, for those who either are in here today or watching that are thinking, I, I'm not sure if I love God. I, I don't know if I've been called according to his purpose. Lord, that you would bring them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that you would bring them to a point of genuine repentance in their lives, that they would put their faith and trust in you, and with that, the assurance that you are working things for their good. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.